0: The president has a big state. We choose truth over facts. One man stands ready to deliver change we desperately need. A man I'm proud to call my friend. A man who will be the next president of the United States. Gotta be more straightforward. I'm not gonna be a mule. I I I I got something to do. I gotta go do boom boom boom. Hillary Clinton is qualified or more qualified than I am to be Vice President of the United States of America. Let's get that straight. And quite frankly, um, it might have been a better pick than me. But she's first rate. I know I'm called middle class Joe. It's not meant as a compliment. It means I'm not sophisticated. I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. A damn liar, man. That's not true. I can get things done. That's why I'm running. If you want to check my shape on it, let's do push-ups. Let's, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. To the word United. To the number 30330. 30330. Or 303-330. 303 <laughs> You got it. That saves billions of gallons of gasoline. I mean, billions of uh, two point, I think it's 2.3. Billion dollars worth of five hundred billion dollars in savings and two point something billion metric tons of CO two going in the air. Well, folks, eliminate one tax loophole out of a trillion six hundred billion worth. A trillion four hundred billion worth.
1: Hello, it's me again, Ryan. Here with another podcast episode, and I thought it would be kind of fun. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time sort of watching watching youtube videos of presidents making gaffes and just find them absolutely hilarious because it's just amazing some of the things that come out of politicians mouths and uh yeah so anyway uh on to more important things i've been thinking a lot about uh first principles and first principles I got the idea, first of all, from a podcast called Wisdom of Crowds. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. But a first principle, you know, politically, what does it mean to have first principles in politics? And I have been thinking about that a lot. Because I I think the last five years, and maybe even before that, we can go back to before that, um... But I've been thinking a lot about what a first principle is in politics and in a lot of ways to me a first principle is something that is non-negotiable. So a first principle is something that you're not willing to work with people to compromise on and I think that's pretty telling in terms of where we're at, because Americans fight over everything these days. Not realizing that first principles are really the only thing that have ever kept us united, we've never agreed on much as a country. We're too big, too rambunctious, we've generally been a young country with a lot of energy, and there's a lot of diversity. And people just don't agree on things in this country the way other countries have consensus sometimes. And that's okay, because we've always had first principles, like, for example, respecting the will of the voters. And it seems to me that's what, what's been breaking down over the last, I don't know, it really depends on who you talk to. There's, I guess that's where we could really start, right? Is like, when did all this start going wrong? There's a couple of different perspectives. We've, I've seen people say it started with Trump. Some people go back to 2012, 2014, somewhere around there, when you had all this sort of, uh, sort of revivalist mobism is what I call it. Other people call it wokeism, cancel culture, whatever you want to call it, that started to emerge on college campuses. Other people go back to Sarah Palin and what you saw during the 2008 um election along with the 08 crash some people go back to bush and iraq and stealing the 2000 election i some people go back to newt gingrich reagan for me i think really things start to go sideways with nixon um i mean the vietnam war is kind of a precursor to that but nixon i think really showed that you can't really trust government for things um At least that's the perception, right? And so I think about that a lot, about what are American first principles? And maybe what are first principles any free person could respect? You know, we'll do everything to compromise on any number of things, but these set of rules we don't want to go beyond. And so I tend to think that first principles, if we could get back to that kind of conversation, we could probably find some common ground, right? And it's important because first principles allow you to establish your liberty and figure out what matters to you, either as a person, as a country, as a community, as a world, as a species. And I think it's particularly important in this era which is almost like a a lot of the time it feels like a new gilded age and i think patrick henry the virginian uh founding father put it really well in terms of liberty and of course he says in a speech uh, at the virginia ratifying convention on june 5th 1788 You know, he says that we should be jealously guarding our liberty and we should always make sure that we are protecting our rights. And I think that that is extremely important. You always have to be careful about how you deal with the violation of your rights. And this is not new. Um, this is not something unique just to America or to Patrick Henry's quote or anything like that. Even books as ancient as the Bible have certain ideas around this. You know, God tells, tells a prophet after the Jews decide that they want a king. Uh, up until that point, they hadn't had one after escaping egypt but now they want one so they can be like other nations and god says listen i'll give them a king but they need to know he's gonna take things from them he's gonna send their children off to war and he's gonna take some of their food as his own and some of their money as his own and you need to be aware of that they're giving up a certain sense of freedom here and not to trust whoever is in charge and to me that's very i find that fascinating that something that long ago could have been in the bible and so i keep going back to that thinking about it and what first principles might be um it's not something i've ever thought about up until the last five years when we had all these questions about democracy and rights and freedom it's funny there's um There's a meme that floats out there every now and again that I see on Facebook where it's basically, you know, me in 2012. I don't know anything about the government, including the three branches, right? And then it's me in 2019. Well, how could the First Amendment be applied in this vague judicial case that I just learned about? And I think it's really interesting how Trump has sort of ignited the curiosity of people about how politics works in this country. It's definitely something that. I don't think he meant to happen, but happened nonetheless. And I'm no stranger to that. Um, I start from maybe a little bit more of a knowledge base, but even me over the last five years, it's really made me think about what does it mean to be free? And what are principles you don't want to compromise on? In way, I voted for Obama and I voted for him again in 2012. And I was a proud Democrat. You know from 2004 to 2014 and then I sort of started change a little bit but it really made me realize hey you know people change in terms of their politics and figuring out what we stand for that we won't compromise on can kind of help you not get fooled by people because there are plenty of people who got fooled by Trump I think and there are plenty of Democrats who got fooled by Obama and thought he was flawless or at the very least, a very, very great president. And when I think about the pantheon of great presidents, I don't think I can put Obama in there uh, for a number of reasons. But not that he was horrible or anything. I don't think that either. But I just, I don't think he was a great president. And I think for a while I did when I when I was younger. um, And when I was a Democrat, and I think Knowing what your principles are, rather than your party affiliation, uh, or what you don't stand for, it can really help kind of center yourself and your politics. And so I wanted to talk about that today, and it made me kind of think about some basic foundational truths that we probably all want to live by. And sorry about the rattling of the paper, I had to write this down, but the 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 big sort of truths that i came back to were were these so the right to vote or have free and fair elections i think is very important uh free speech the right to defend oneself if we so choose it's very important to stress that last part if we so choose equal opportunity in all measures rule of law The right to do what we want with our bodies, a free press, separation of powers, and the separation of religion and government. All of those things, I think, are fundamentally things we could agree on. Most of us, you know, not all of us. And that's why I'm kind of doing this, because I think a lot of people, because of social media and the way that news gets just you're bombarded with it if you're on social media like i'm on twitter and the news never stops it's it's something to behold like if you ever feel like it create a twitter account spend a day following politics watch how much news unfolds over the course of a day it's hard to to track you really have to live on there which is why so many journalists do and why trump did and so that's that's kind of where i'm at um I want, I want first principles because I think if we know what our first principles are, we can know what to look for in people who would take our first principles from us. In other words, our liberty. You know, it could, if you don't have first principles, it could look like you are in danger at times when you are actually not in danger, right? And I think first principles help you know what you're looking for. When you're out there watching the news, signs that maybe your liberty is at risk or something has gone wrong. Um, And so I think let's start with, you know, free speech. So free speech is fundamental to so much of what we do as a free people. And this is true almost everywhere. And if you think about it, free speech is what the founding fathers relied on against the british we didn't we couldn't really beat them with force of arms if they had decided to just fully invade but we had the power of free speech to spread ideas and encourage fellow americans to rise up and one of the things that concerns me now is that it seems like that might be slipping away Now, in other countries, this has gone back and forth, but there's a couple of examples of this taking place. Um, After the George Floyd protests, there was a lot of sort of reckoning with racism in in this country. There still is. Um, One of the things that happened was people started searching people's Twitter feeds for racist commentary. And this sometimes had sometimes had some really weird unexpected outcomes so take uh minneapolis resident majdi wadi now really really dialed in politicos will know that name uh he's become kind of famous or infamous depending on your view and he lived in minneapolis he was a palestinian american uh immigrant and he had built a business called holy land from the ground up he even had uh Gotten on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, you know, that Guy Ferreri show. And he had done really good work, and he had employed a lot of brown uh, and black people of color in his business, uh, really trying to give them good jobs because he knew what it was like to be poor and and an immigrant and to struggle. And he also had been donating uh, to refugee programs as well. And he was he was a really successful uh, businessman and and being from Minneapolis the George floyd stuff was was close to home. Well it turned out that his daughter uh, who was fifteen at the time of posting these tweets which were not posted after the George Floyd incident, they were posted a while ago well um, she had posted a lot of really racist things in 2012 and 2016. Her name was uh, Leanne, I might get this wrong, Leanne Waddy. And it was, it was anti-black, uh, anti-LGBT stuff. But keep in mind, she was 15. Now, Majdi, we, there's nothing he did wrong. Um, these weren't his tweets. He never said any of this stuff and he started to lose business people started to boycott him he fired his own daughter Uh, you can hear his story on barry weiss's uh, podcast she has a great interview with him and he talks about how she couldn't get a job she hasn't been able to get a job and she had to move to london in hopes of finding work and he talked about having to close stores and how he got kicked out of one place one of his business locations got evicted just because of that, that those tweets his daughter sent out. Again, 2012 and 2016, you know, well before the George Floyd stuff. Not going to get into what the tweets said. You can go read an article about it. There's, there's plenty of articles about it. And it's remarkable to me because here's a man who his daughter was exercising her free speech rights. I don't agree with the tweets. They're gross and disgusting. I don't think she meant them in a racist way. I think young kids get on social media and they make jokes, not realizing everyone can see what they say. And it's just kind of one of those things where he didn't do anything wrong and now his whole business has gone under. And I just find it really, really sad. And... Should there be consequences for free speech? I suppose. But what about when you didn't even say the thing? Someone else did. And you made them pay a consequence for it. He fired his own daughter. I don't know. That, to me, to lose your whole livelihood, and here you are, you know, a Palestinian immigrant, which the left claims to care about, except in this case, right? And it's just disturbing. And not to mention all the people of color he had to lay off because his business has failed, basically. Think about those people. What about them? Do their black and brown lives not matter? And it's a scary thing when someone's whole life can be undone by tweets someone in their family sent. Not even them, but their family. And while it's not legal suppression of free speech, It's the culture announcing that it's okay with certain things being suppressed. And I'm not even sure what the point of suppressing that would be. Because it's not like anyone was going to follow a 15-year-old and go and start killing people of color or gay people. I mean, she's a Palestinian too. It would have been silly, right? So it's not even like this was threatening anyone. Was it gross? Yeah. But she apologized. She took him down. Her dad apologized and fired her. Should their whole lives be ruined now, forever? And what's more disturbing is that the press doesn't always want to seem to grapple with this. Code Switch, which is a a sort of um, popular podcast, and I believe it's run by NPR, they did a podcast about this, and what I found stunning was there was no discussion about should this all have even happened. They blamed him. And he didn't even do anything. And as the story unfolds and you find out there's this shakedown going on as he's reaching out to um, other Muslims in the community trying to figure out what he can do. And he's being asked to donate all this money and all this different stuff. And meanwhile, he doesn't even have money because he's losing his business. And the podcast hosts are shaking their head at him like he doesn't understand. And I don't know what there is to understand there. I listened to the podcast It seems to me that they just didn't want to address the issue because to do so would mean they would have to change their perspective. And that's something I had to do. I was very uh, pro-Black Lives Matter, and in some ways I still am. Uh, They've got this great program where they're helping people who are getting evicted despite the fact that people aren't supposed to be able to get evicted right now, where they're getting people into new places to live. I think that's wonderful. Uh, I'm talking more about the sort of overarching some of their themes that they have about uh whiteness you know and i think it's kind of disturbing to me that here's a man who is the definition of someone who comes from nothing that we should all look up to especially on the left because he's palestinian he's an immigrant he's a person of color he's working class he built something up from nothing He's a good parent i mean he's exactly the kind of person the left came, claims to be standing up for and then he lost everything for something he had no role in he probably didn't even know those those tweets were out there until someone asked him about them can you imagine and so i just find that what's happening to our culture on free speech is is disturbing and i don't think it's coming from any one side because you're also seeing it on the right you know it, I've talked about this with friends about the 1619 project, which I find disturbing Um, in some ways. I don't think you can say 1619 is the founding of America, for one thing. And there are plenty of historians who have refuted a lot of information in that project. For those who don't know what it is, it's basically a a New York Times project run by Nicole Hannah-Jones trying to argue that the real founding of America starts with slavery and 1619... When the first slaves were brought here um but there's a lot of historical inaccuracies in the project but here's the thing he what's happening is there's this backlash against this stuff because basically there's concern that this stuff is going to get taught in school and people are going to be taught to hate whiteness and america which I kind of understand I I don't want my kid to think he's because he's white he's bad but you know what we're talking about here is is a backlash where you're still suppressing free speech so I'm not for teaching the 1619 project as such in the classroom but I think taking some ideas out of there and comparing them to other ideas from other places that could be a good way to teach and letting kids see these different angles and decide for themselves what they believe um you know DeSantis said during this time when he passed this law some of this stuff i think really is really toxic he said quote unquote um i think it's going to cause a lot of divisions i think it'll cause people to think of themselves more as a member of a particular race based on skin color rather than based on the content of their character And based on their hard work and what they're trying to accomplish in life. And I agree to an extent with that. the problem is, the law that got passed outright bans the 1619 Project. And you're talking about states deciding what teachers can teach in the classroom. And that I find disturbing. And people are going to push back on that maybe and say but isn't that what they're already doing with school boards anyway? Haven't we always had that? The answer is no. So the school, as someone who went to school for education, I can tell you the way that it works is they tell you what you want to make sure you do teach. There's certain things that need to be taught um, about history, like slavery, Holocaust, Declaration of Independence, Civil War, uh, Great Depression, World War Two, World War One. Certain things they want to make sure get taught. That doesn't mean you can't teach other things in conjunction with that. So as long as you're teaching those specific topics that they outline, you can throw whatever else you want in the mix. Now, this law is the reverse. They're telling you what you can't teach, not what you can. And I find that disturbing because what you're doing is... And the laws are so vague. Like, what does it mean to ban the 1619 Project? What if a teacher... What if a teacher pulled? information out of a textbook or out of a a historical book that they read and it just happened to have some some of the same facts of the 1619 project that weren't even incorrect by the way and some kids parents said hey this is from the 1619 project and that teacher got fired you know what i mean like that it's one thing to to talk about hey we got to be careful about some of this stuff i mean telling people that perfectionism being on time All that stuff is whiteness. I don't agree with that. But I also don't agree that everything about race is CRT because that's not true. There really are systems in place in our country that do make it harder for people of color uh, to get by. And working class people, by the way, who are white. So there are barriers in this country. And it feels like what's happening is the right is overreacting and saying, well, we can't have any talk of barriers or uh anything having to do with race or class, which is what the right always does. They love doing this. They eat this up. They love ignoring the suffering of others, ignoring facts on the ground. And so you have this oppression of free speech going on around the country on all sides. And I find that very disturbing. And so this is a great example of what I'm talking about with identifying your enemies. In, in many ways, the enemy is not DeSantis. It's not Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, it's not the people who, who went after uh, Majdi Wadi. It's, it's the ideas themselves. And you have to debate those ideas and defeat them. And it feels like the suppression of free speech and everything, that's, that's one of those things where there are authoritarians on all sides. People don't want to admit that. But there are authoritarians in all walks of life. And those people all agree on violating free speech. They just disagree on which which people get the right to speak. And I think that's really, really important. And that kind of brings you into first principle number two, the right to free and fair elections. You know, I'm deeply disturbed by both the Democrats and the Republicans and what I see going on here. Because in 2016, Hillary um, gave her concession speech. She gave up pursuing trying to win. But what disturbs me is you're seeing this this trend of, of people rejecting when someone else wins. Clinton didn't really want to admit that Trump had won and democrats on twitter and social media you can you know i'm on social media a lot reddit there was talk about could russia have changed the voting rolls? which there's no way to do that based on how our voting machines work i'm not going to get into a huge thing about that because i have a lot of points to cover in this podcast but you can go read about our voting machines they're not they're too localized you can't just hack into them that's not how it works and I find it disturbing that people just ran with that because they couldn't believe Trump had won instead of ignoring ex- instead of acknowledging how awful Clinton was as a candidate. And the same thing happened in Georgia in 2018. Stacey Abrams claimed she had the election stolen from her. Now, listen, there's some things I find deeply disturbing about that election. George Kemp, uh, I think his name is George, right? Governor Kemp, uh, he did a lot of weird things prior to the election. But we, didn't ha- we don't have any evidence that those things caused Brianna, uh, Brianna uh, Stacey Abrams to lose. We don't. We just don't. You can say, well, if you purged the voting rolls, less people can vote. But we don't know if those people were going to vote. We don't even know if they live in the state. So we can't really say that she had the election stolen from her. Is it possible? Maybe. But we don't know. And she never conceded. So I find that disturbing you know and look she she proved everyone wrong in 2020 she got more people out to vote and the democrats won georgia in both senate seats so obviously what's changed you know like you said there was voter suppression well was there because look what happened in 2020 and then on the republican side i mean what do you even say i don't even know what to say because it it blows my mind what we've seen you know you had trump basically try to overturn this election a hundred ways from sunday like he did everything he could and he still claims he won and so do a lot of um republicans look what happened to liz cheney it's deeply disturbing and if we can't rely on our vote we can't really rely on much if we don't have the vote we don't have much and it really does feel like republicans are gearing up to try and find a way to steal the election again look at it this way if they win if they win the house back in in 2022 which is almost a foregone conclusion because of gerrymandering and frankly because the, the democrats just suck they're not really they're really not doing a good job right now and if they win the house back and Say Kamala Harris runs because Biden can't, he's too old or whatever, or say Biden runs again. Does anyone really believe that if it's close, the Republicans will let the Democrat win? They tried to overturn it last year. I don't know. I find it all very disturbing and deeply, 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 deeply troubling. And I don't know what to do about it because it's not like Democrats are doing a good job passing voting rights bills or trying to find out what happened on january 6th yeah they got some commissions going but i mean man six months in and you still don't know much i don't know that's disturbing to me you guys this should have been your top priority after covid not the infrastructure bill and they keep hoping that if they just pass all these good bills people will vote for them but that's just not how voting works i know people don't want to hear that but voting is cultural i mean people knew trump was awful He had this stupid thing he used to say on the campaign trail where he talked about the snake and letting the snake in. I think it's a snake. And it's it's like he's telling them he's the snake. And his voters are eating it up thinking he's talking about Clinton. And he wants them to think he's talking about Clinton. But what he's really doing is if he ever does badly and ever decides to admit he did badly, he can say, well, you knew I was a snake when you let me in and I still won 74 million votes. It's cultural. It's not about policy. And people don't understand that. And there's all this, this hand-wringing by the Democrats. Oh, why don't people like us more? Well, because it's not it's not about policy. It's about culture. And you guys have this this thing where you just think everyone should fall into line with whatever cultural beliefs you have. And I don't really like that. It doesn't mean I, I think we should be a country of racists but just as an example you're seeing this whole should the government chat uh, tax churches on the on the democratic side in the left and i'm sitting there saying guys they literally explain there's a separation of power between church and state there in the beginning of the republic do you not see how that looks authoritarian How a Christian might think, even if it's not what you're really trying to do. They might think that you're trying to make churches go under. I mean, liberals who are not religious do not understand how deeply important religion is to people who are. As a Christian, I can assure you, if I had two candidates in in every policy that one candidate was fighting for, what are policies I'd like to religion? Like if they were like everything, every policy was great. And then they said, and by the way, I'm going to tax Christian churches. So they all go under and Christians won't have a place to worship anymore. I'm going to go and vote for the Republican, even if almost every other policy sucks, because I cannot abide a politician who thinks religion has no place in a person's life. It doesn't have a place in government. But if someone wants to be religious, they should be allowed to be, and they should have a place to go where they can worship and find community. And so this principle of respecting our vote, it seems to be more and more ignored. And I think it's worse on the right. I really do. I don't think it's actually all that close. But I do think the Democrats do it too. I mean, Clinton told Biden under no circumstance should you concede. What? What if What if Trump won fi- all 50 states and won by 10 million votes? Are you going to tell me the election was rigged? I mean, come on. And so I think, you know, we need to watch out for people like that. And I see so many people cheering Stacey Abrams on when she says this. And I find it really, really disheartening. And if we don't fight for those first principles... I mean, we're going to lose the country and we're going to lose each other. And even though we haven't always gotten along, even though we've always fought and we haven't always agreed policy-wise, we've always been able to coexist with each other in the same country and call each other Americans. And we are losing that because of the loss of these first principles. You know, free speech, free elections, they matter. Respecting the will of the voters matters. And the third, of course... First principle that I really think is important is the right to self defense. Now, I don't own any guns. Um, I wouldn't undo the Second Amendment. It's in there, and I think it's fine for people to own a gun, like a hunting rifle, whatever, um, home defense weapon. And frankly, there are plenty of ways to kill someone if you want to. I do get disturbed about the gun shootings in schools. Sandy Hook really, really, really. Uh, messed me up badly on this issue pulse is another one the synagogue uh killings in pittsburgh dylan roof in charleston are some of the ones that come to mind that were really disturbing but um i still believe in the right to self-defense primarily against the state who claims to have the sole providence of of violence on their side that they can do it whenever they want and that brings me to sort of the the brianna taylor shooting that i think about a lot you know there's a a great article in the louisville courier journal by tessa duval where she talks about the truth about the brianna taylor shooting she debunks some stuff some of it on the left some of it on the right but the thing i keep coming back to is that her boyfriend fired a single shot at the police because he claims they didn't knock they just they just broke down the door and he thought there was a burglar and now my question would be this guy's got to know that if there was a knock and he heard it he can't shoot at them because (laughs) because they're gonna shoot back and he's gonna die and his girlfriend's gonna die and one of the fact checks here on this article is is he was a drug dealer and it turns out that wasn't true so it's not like he was in a situation where he was like, well, they're going to find all this stuff and I'm going away for life anyway. It, it wasn't like that. He was, he wasn't a drug dealer. So it wasn't a, that sort of case where it was like, I ride or die kind of thing, which drug dealers can sometimes do. And so he fired a single shot thinking their home was being broken and entered into. And for that, Brianna Taylor was shot to death. And at what point do we stop and ask, like, should the state just be able to enter our homes whenever they want, you know? Unreasonable search and seizure, right? And that's so important because the state can really do a lot. They can pass a lot of laws. They can do a lot of things to us. Um, and I think it it's critical that we remember we need to have the right to self-defense even against the government does that mean does that mean we're gonna win? Probably not but that right has to be there and I see a lot of people on the left wanting to take away people's guns you know and I find that deeply disturbing and troubling and, and authoritarian and then on the right I mean you you see that they the moment, it's there's the moment it goes against their agenda they ignore it so the philando castile shooting you know that cop knew he had a gun he said he had his license why would he think that 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 guy was gonna that castile was gonna shoot him he has no reason to think that he was with his daughter and wife or girlfriend there's no reason to think that was gonna happen does it happen sometimes officers yes i've seen some disturbing videos but The videos I've seen where it happens, you're not in the car with your kid and your significant other. You're usually by yourself. So the right wants to ignore that because it's inconvenient. But Philando was a registered gun owner. He had a right to have a gun on him. And the cop panicked and shot him. And then the cop got off. So we all have to start deciding, do we believe in the right to self-defense or not? Because it seems like we just pick and choose. Well, if it's for my side, then I'm for it. If it's for the other side, then I'm against it. And we can't govern that way as a people. We just can't. And that right to self-defense is really, really important. So this whole trying to break that down and and make it so it doesn't happen anymore, where we have that right to self-defense either because we don't have guns anymore or because we sanction the state's right to commit violence against us whenever they want. That's about the one of the worst things we can do. And this is going to come up again when I get to separation of powers. Because it really does filter upward. And you're going to see how. So I think when it comes to the right of self-defense, we're sort of... That's an, another area where we're really lost. We don't know what to how to argue about it. You know, people love to say George I mean, I've seen people say this. George Floyd deserved to die because number 1 he he was arguing with the cops and number 2 he had a a criminal history. That's where we're at now. That's where we're at. So I'm just saying people need to have the right to self-defense in a free country and it's another thing that seems like it's slipping away and again this all goes back to knowing who your enemies are i'm not talking about left right i'm talking about anyone walking around who has authoritarian tendencies and that brings me to first principle number four And first principle number four uh, is equal opportunity. And what do I mean by that? I'm talking about economic opportunity. It's critical for society to have equal opportunity. Why? Because otherwise you get things like the French Revolution. People eventually figure out when they don't have equal opportunity anymore. And things start to go sideways after that. And I think this is a huge one right now. It's part of why Trump won. It's part of why the left is ascendant in some ways. Um, It's why Bernie put up such a fight against Clinton and Biden. And so I tend to think that this is a huge one. And there's two big things I want to hit on with this. And the first is this thing happening with uh, companies like BlackRock or Blackstone where the basically what's happening is they're buying up homes and when they buy up those homes you know they're paying a huge amount above asking price and then they're going to turn around and rent those homes out to american citizens right and you're saying well what's so bad about that people don't realize that owning a home is one of the only ways working-class working class people can build wealth in this country. It just is. And by buying up homes, you're making the market more scarce, and you're making it harder for lower-income people to find homes that they can buy because you're outbidding them. You have way more power than them. And I think this Slate article by Elena Batella... It's called Investment Firms Aren't Buying All the Houses, but They're Buying the Most Important Ones. She, she makes a really good point, and she says the truth is we can panic and not and acknowledge Wall Street's small role at the same time. So although the number of houses being purchased by mega investors is currently not enough to move the market in most parts of the country, these firms' underlying structural advantage is profound and growing. And as we've seen with Amazon there comes a point where you really can corner the market on things. And what happens if we can't find enough homes that are affordable for us to grow a working and middle class, and we become a nation of renters dominated by rich people? That eliminates a lot of opportunity down the line. And you have to be able to have that equal opportunity to make the country fair, to give everyone a shot, that's part of liberty and freedom by the way. You can't have the rest and then cut the economy off at the knees and somehow think your people are free. They're not. Economic freedom is one of the biggest parts of being free. The right to one's labor. The right to own land. These things are incredibly important. And once again history matters here because people people do not know much about the middle ages. but. One of the biggest reasons that the West emerged out of that era and began over time to grant rights to citizens is because in the Middle Ages, no one had any rights. It was feudalism where you worked the land, but it was for someone else. It was for a noble who told you what to do, and you couldn't really go anywhere, and you were ruled by a king, and that was your life, and you died young. Your body broken from tilling the land because there wasn't really technology back then. And that was the fate of your kids, too. There was no hope for anyone outside of the elite. And that, that, in a lot of ways, when we talk about the Gilded Age and the age we're in now, that's what people worry about. We still have that fear of going back to that time. And... That's how deeply ingrained it is in Western civilization. Our citizens still think about it and worry about it. They don't always know why they're thinking about it or where they're getting it from, I think. But that's the root of it. Our ancestors were probably mostly all basically indentured servants. Or serfs. And we had to do what nobles told us. Couldn't work for our own labor. Couldn't move didn't have the vote, couldn't say what we want, had to turn over a large amount of profit to nobles and kings. And we don't want to go back to that. It's our number one fear in the West. And so this is underrated what's happening. Because if you get to a point where there's not enough houses to go around, you're going to have problems. And it's starting to happen. And I, I, I don't know what to do about that. But you have to be aware that that's happening. And I don't think a lot of people are yet. I don't think it's really hit the, hit the news cycle that hard yet. So we, sh- we should really be worried about that. And it's another first principle we have to go back to. Economic opportunity for everyone. And you, and I've seen people say, well, what about the homeowners selling their homes? It's, equal, it's, it's economic opportunity for them but not for people who don't own homes. And you have to have both. And another area this happens in is student loan debt. Now listen, I, I, there's a lot of different ways you can deal with student loan debt, but the fundamental thing I'm talking about here when it comes to student loan debt is that wealthy people don't need student loans. Working class and middle class people do. And what's happening right now is you're seeing this growth of student loan debt where it's making it hard for people at the bottom to move up. And it's kind of cementing the people at the top. And again, we need to be really, really worried about that. You cannot have a free society where all the rich people have all the money. You just can't. It doesn't work. People get angry. They get resentful. You're seeing that in some Trump voters again. Not every Trump voter is a racist or a bigot. Some of their lives really have been ruined, you know, and they're angry about it and they they want it fixed. They may not have a good solution, but they know when they're they're being screwed. And student loan borrowers are aware of that too. You know, and and the thing that dis- disturbs me most about it isn't even the amount of debt. It's that the the system is is so convoluted that people can't navigate it so what ends up happening is you have people who i've been on calls with people where they i i know a lot about student loans and i've heard my servicer lie to me like just lie to me yeah this payment plan will qualify for forgiveness and i know it doesn't what the hell what is that about who trained that person did they mean to lie are they supposed to mislead me i don't know i don't know what their memos say internally But I find that deeply, deeply disgusting. And what ends up happening is you end up getting people who pay for years and they think they're working towards forgiveness and then they find out that not a single payment counted. Not one. And you know what the servicer says? Sorry. Can't fix it. What the hell is wrong with this country when we get to a point where People want to do better, and they want an education. They want to be the first college grad in their family and to go on to be, I don't know, an engineer or a teacher or a doctor. And instead of making student loans simple, we make it so complex that, you know, thousands of Americans are defaulting on on these student loans and having their wages garnished. Meanwhile, the servicers make billions of dollars every year, and the federal government gets the interest. And the forgiveness program doesn't even work that well. Something like 91% of people's student loan debt, is going to their principal is going to be paid back, even on a public service loan forgiveness plan. How does that help them move up economically? The whole point of forgiveness was to entice people to go into low-income fields working for the community. And then you stick them with all the student loan debt and you don't let them have a payment that they can afford. You know? That, that's horrible. It's oppressive. And it's making the economy weaker. And it's making it so individuals don't have equal opportunity to those who are more wealthy than them and don't need student loan debt. We are cementing a permanent underclass in this country and a permanent elite. And the problem with that, it's always a problem, but the problem now is that though that that underclass, they're not a true underclass the way f- people in, in medieval Europe were, you know, the literacy rates were way down and, you know, they had short lives and they weren't educated, etc. So many people work jobs that don't pay them enough to survive but they have a college education and they're incredibly bright. They're part of the intellectual elite, if you will. So they're not actually an underclass and they know that they know they're not supposed to be at the bottom. They know that they're supposed to be less inequality. They were made promises and now they feel lied to. And what do you think that's going to do? Like, what do you think that's going to do to the country? We have to come up with a better policy on this stuff. And this is true of uh, economics across the board people people had the gall to say that we need to eliminate unemployment benefits because people need to go back to work in restaurants. Restaurant jobs pay nothing. What people were really saying is I don't want that business to go under because I like going there and sitting at a table so I can tell someone else what to do for an hour a day because 8 hours a day I do what other people tell me to do and I want to be on top for once. That's what it really is. They like feeling served. So they would prefer people go and work in those restaurants even though they can't survive just so they can feel a little bit of dignity. Think about that. Think about how messed up as a society you have to be, how sick as a society you have to be to reach that point. And that's our economic situation in a nutshell. It's a bunch of people on the bottom trying to decide, hey, we're all on the bottom, but... Which one of us is going to be the one that's having all the feet stepped on him? Because I don't want that to be me. You know, I know I can't reach the top. I can't even reach the middle. But I can go out to a restaurant and feel nice about myself because I know I don't have to tip this waitress anything. And she'll be broke. And I won't be. That's incredibly immoral and gross. And that's where we're at. And the Democrats, frank the Republicans don't have any policies on this stuff. I mean, it's, it's not even, it's stunning how little policy ideas they have. But the Democrats aren't really doing much about it. They couldn't pass a $15 minimum wage. Doesn't seem like they're going to undo these taxes that Trump put in place and the Republicans. They have no plan for big tech. Nothing. They're perfectly happy to let this keep rolling on and on. With just a little bit of tinkering around the edges. And it's not going to help us. The country is going to spiral if we keep going down that road. Okay, next principle. Rule of law. And there's a lot of angles you can look at this. Um, I could start with Trump, but I'm actually not going to. I want to start with Bill Cosby. So Bill Cosby admitted to drugging and raping. I believe it's like sixty women. And I understand that the prosecutor, which <laughs> you want to talk about funny, the prosecutor in this case was the same person who tried to argue in Trump's defense during impeachment. so that that tells you a lot, right? So he promised Bill Cosby that if he testified and told the truth, there would be no prosecution. Well, Okay, that's not great. So, but Bill Cosby took him at his word and then got prosecuted. Now I know what everyone's thinking. What you're about to say, Ryan, is Bill Cosby, justice was done, and how could the prosecution tell him that and then, not pers- and then prosecute him? But actually, I see this as a double failing. First off, the prosecution did not do its job correctly. Like, there's a lot of hungry prosecutors out there who probably do stuff like this, and it's disgusting. And they should be disbarred for doing it. I don't. People might be shocked for me saying that, but no. If you're the kind of prosecutor that just looks forward to adding another feather in your cap, and not caring if someone is actually innocent or guilty and you'll do whatever you need to do to get them on the stand and then prosecute them even though you told them you wouldn't you should not be a lawyer now that's on the government side or on the the prosecutor side so that's one way that rule of law is being broken you know prosecutors ignoring the fact that their job is to actually uphold the rule of law not get convictions i mean yeah their job is nominally to get convictions But really, for all lawyers, they're part of the justice system. They're supposed to be upholding the rule of law. And if as a prosecutor, you get to a point where you can't really convict this guy because of statutes of limitations, etc. It stinks. It really does because Bill Cosby is guilty. But you can't tell a guy that and then prosecute him. You can't say, I won't prosecute you if you admit guilt. And then he admits guilt and you prosecute him. That's not rule of law. And on the other side, How can it be that a man rapes 60 women and gets less time than a woman who went to jail for uh, voting when she couldn't? You know, I mean, this case of 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 Crystal Mason in Texas going to jail for five years because she didn't realize she couldn't vote. And now she's in prison for five years. She's going to spend more time in prison than Bill Cosby. In what world is that good? You know, how is that rule of law? It doesn't make any sense. The entire system makes no sense at this point. And that's what everyone who is not within the system realizes. You know, whether it be the the sort of independent voices out there in the media. And I'll list a couple. uh, The fifth column, Barry Weiss, Andrew Sullivan... Uh, blocked and reported the podcast they're great they're liberals but they're they're very far left actually but they're anti-establishment um i could keep going wisdom of of crowds there's just all these different people out there thomas chatterton williams john mcborder uh, glenn lowry chloe valdery bridget phetasy joe rogan all these different sort of uh mediaites who have begun to realize that the the system has just broken down in this fundamentally horrible way. Where it's almost like a, the US is a is a clown car. You know? I've seen people call it a failed state. I don't want to go that far, but man, like you're talking so far about we can't defend ourselves. There's no rule of law, it seems like, it's just kind of whatever on a on a given day. There's voter suppression. And overturning of elections trying to be taking place. People aren't respecting our our vote on all sides. And everyone seems to want to undo free speech. And it's, it's like the very things that make us American are breaking down right before our very eyes. And anyone who's not part of the establishment can see this happening. Only if you're inside the system in some kind of way... Do you think otherwise? So you have the two parties who feel that things are going according to plan. They say they're not, but if you're doing well in this country, you feel pretty good. And that's the reality for the Democrats and the Republicans. It's all a game to them. And of course, their voters, their party bases feel that way too. Um, Not about the other side. They look at the other side and they say something's gone deeply wrong. But they can't look at their own side and see that. I look at it all as someone who worries about government power and who is also very far left and wants people to have equal opportunity and access to their basic needs being met. I see the system breaking down everywhere. I don't know if it's permanent. I don't know... It's hard to gauge how serious it is all the time on a given day. Some days are better than others, but it's definitely happening. And I don't know what to do about that because the two parties don't want to admit that. Only against the other party, of course, but they can't sit and say the entire system is breaking down and we need to figure out what to do because they grew up in it and they are a part of it. And Bill Cosby is not the only example of the rule of law breaking down um or Crystal Crystal Mason. You know, this this Britney Spears story is I I didn't even know this was a thing, right? And this is another case of rule of law. How can it be that someone can't have kids if they want to? Right? Like she can't have have kids because of her dad's conservatorship. You know? I mean, you, you're you talking about a dad who once told Britney's mom, I am Britney Spears, because he had so much control of her life. And yes, she had some mental breakdown issues when she was younger, but that stuff doesn't last. I did too. And I have went to therapy, I got it treated, figured out what was going on with my brain, and I fixed it. anyone can do that almost anyone i should say there are certain conditions that are not fixable uh, and need to be medicated but you know with britney it, it someone made the great point that she could go on tour play all this music make millions of dollars but she's not capable of managing her own affairs how does that make any sense and again this is a case where She's probably right that she deserves to be released from conservatorship, but because of the way laws are written, they just don't favor her. And she's one of the most prominent Americans of the early 2000s. And she's still a very popular, prominent um, musical artist and has a lot of fans. And she can't even get the courts to work in her favor when they should. That's what we're dealing with. This is this is like this stuff is so basic and fundamental to human existence, and we're getting to a point where it's like, it's not Jim Crow, but it, it's almost like the Dred, like remember the Dred Scott case where Dred Scott really was an American citizen. Doesn't matter what slave owners say. In a way, it doesn't even matter what the Constitution says. If you're born here, you're an American citizen. We almost all of us agree on that now, and here's Roger Roger Tani, you know this this immaculate great American, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and here he is saying, not only are you not a citizen, I don't even need to acknowledge your lawsuit. And in some ways, some of this stuff feels like that, where it's like, where it's like not only can Brittany not get the court to rule in her favor but she's right like she she really could be freed of this conservatorship she doesn't need her dad to do this with all these abusive things he's been doing there's a great article in the new yorker i really encourage people to read it it's by ronan farrow, farrow and uh, gia tolentino recently published and it's called britney spears conservatorship nightmare and it's about all this horrible stuff that she has been through i mean she can't have a life it's heartbreaking and her kids are everything to her and there's all these rules around it she doesn't even have her own phone apparently she can't she can't control her own social media accounts this is crazy stuff and in a country where we claim to be free and I really do believe we are free in a lot of ways. But that is breaking down. Make no mistake about it. It's been breaking down for a while now. And we, re- we really need to, when it comes to rule of law, rally around these facts. Like You can't have laws on the books that favor the oppressor and not the oppressed. You just can't. That's not freedom. You know, and I don't know what you do about it. Again, I'm not a policy person. I just, I'm more like a philosophy kind of person. I think a lot about deeper questions. There's some policies I could probably craft, like on how to fix student loans. But I do know when something's wrong. And I do know what my first principles are. And this violates those. And anyone who agrees with me is on my side. Whether they're a Trump voter, Democrat, Libertarian, Anarchist, Socialist, Communist, if you're like, oh, we can't have laws like this that stop people from being free the way Britney Spears is being treated, or we can't have laws that let people who rape 60 people go free. Great. That, that is great. We are on the same side. You can vote for whoever you want as long as you agree with those first principles because they are so basic. And that brings me to the next principle, which is the free press. We need a free press. And I know the press gets a lot of crap these days, and rightfully so. They have not been good in areas. I think I have a more nuanced view. Um, I judge every article on its own accord. And because I tend to read specific uh, writers, not publications like i don't subscribe to new york times and i don't watch cable news i don't subscribe to um washington journal or the washington post i tend to read writers i like who seem like they agree with me on these first principles um i have a more nuanced view because i judge every article of its own accord but presidents over the last 20 years have been doing some disturbing stuff and this is where i go back to obama People don't know this. This is not a commonly known fact. You know, Jake Tapper on CNN uh, on January 2nd, 2014 had said the Obama administration has used the SB Act to go after whistleblowers who leaked to journalists more than all previous administrations combined. Combined. It's true. You can look it up. Now, I, I haven't looked up the numbers on Trump, so I'm not sure how that changes things. And we may not know for a little bit, but... Think about that. That's crazy. And people loved Obama. Meanwhile, he's going after journalists, you know, and spying on them. That is not someone who is a man who likes freedom. How can you do that and claim to be a champion of freedom? The free press is what allows us to know what's going on with our government and how they're violating our rights. You know, and it's disgusting to see someone like Obama who should know better because he's smart, because he's educated, because he's a person of color who probably has experienced some racism and knows that the strong hand of government is not always something to be trusted. Perhaps sometimes it can be, but not always. He should know better. And the fact that he does not. Deeply, deeply troubles me because I don't know if someone like Obama can't grapple with that, then do we really have hope? And he wasn't the only one. You know, Trump's Justice Department, you can read this article. There's plenty of articles on this. You can Google it. Uh, the one I have in front of me is by Best Levin. I'm sure there's better articles. This one's from Vanity Fair. May twenty four. 4th 2021 and trump's justice department spied on at least five reporters from outlets trump despised like cnn and they did things like obtain months worth of her of uh, people's phone and email communications um in this case of barbara Starr, um i just find it so disturbing you know and he did this to congress too and you need to be able to understand that if the press thinks the government's going to crack down on it, if it negatively reports them, you're going to get problems. And it's happening on both sides. Again, you had plenty of right-wing journalists in the in the White House press briefings asking Trump fluff questions. I mean – the number of times i watched a fox news host talk about how big and strong trump looked and how smart and elegant he was and then you turn around and you see msnbc and cnn saying things asking biden's press secretary like what what do we get wrong about the biden administration that's not your job your job is to figure out what the biden administration is doing is it good Is it bad in terms of basic liberty? And what do people need to know about it? Give us the facts. We know you're going to have bias. You can state your bias. You can be tilted. We all know how Fox News is, how MSNBC is. You know, Vox is a left-wing publication. Um, The American Conservative is not, right? We know how this stuff works. It's okay. But man... To get cozy with power like that? Mm. Mm -mm -mm. If you lose a free press, there's no way to really be certain about what's going on. Think about that. You lose a free press, how do you know really what the government is up to? And these weakening of our press rights you know, it has a profound impact. Obama's attacks on the press presaged Trump's attacks on the press. And look what happened. Trump went even worse. He called for violence sometimes against the press. He kicked people out of the White House thinking he, they couldn't come back. That was his right. He name-called them all the time so that his supporters would know, would know. Who the enemy was, and listen, we're, do I think that's going to result in mass scale violence against the press? No. But even one attack is too much. Jamal Jamal Khashoggi, Trump didn't do anything. He let them. He let that happen, and by all accounts, Jared Kushner knew and was okay with it because we liked Saudi Arabia apparently. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. We need a free press, and we're losing that both by the press's own fault because they're becoming too biased in all directions. Whatever their whatever their company's you know, bias is, that's the way they go to keep their job, and also because the government is more and more pushing back on them. And I get it. The government's going to do that, but the job of the press is to push back on the government. That's why places like ProPublica are so important, because they they do that extra work. It's also why I like podcasts like The Fifth Column, even though I don't agree with a lot of what they say, because I love the check on power, and we all should. People shouldn't be out there saying, oh, why is the press so hard on Trump? They should be asking, why isn't the press harder on other presidents? You should want every... Every president should be treated the way the press treated Trump. Like they're a joke. Because in a lot of ways, every president is. You know, one person making all the decisions, like they have all the knowledge. And then they end up saying stupid things or getting in trouble. Or falling down a flight of stairs or having toilet paper attached to their foot. They're no better than you or me. They're just another person who talks nice or went to Harvard or whose dad was in Congress, so they got a leg up. You know? I mean, most of these people are not any smarter than you or me. They may be more educated. They may know more, know more facts than you. And that's important. As we're finding out with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ugh. But they're not better than you or I. And we need to stop treating it like that. People worshipped Obama. They worshipped Trump. I worship one, one man. And I worship one being. I don't need to worship a politician. Because I know they're full of shit. Most of the time. Doesn't mean I don't vote. Doesn't mean I don't always... Doesn't mean there aren't things they don't do well. But if you ask me, have any of the presidents in the last... 50 years? 60 years. We'll go since LBJ. If you ask me, are any of those presidents good? No. No. They were all shitbags. Excuse my French. Nixon, we know what happened there. Ford pardoned him. He pardoned him. And just was not a good president. You know, inflation was a huge problem. Same with Carter. Couldn't Couldn't figure out what to do about the Iran hostage crisis. Reagan, who people idolize... Grew the national deficit. He told the Iranians not to release the hostages so he could win the election in 1980. He had this whole welfare queen thing he did about black women being on welfare. He had some horrible racist remarks that he has said in the past that are on tape. He had the Iran-Contra affair. I mean, there's so many things. When you go back and you look at his record, he sucked how he treated the gay community when we were going through the HIV AIDS crisis. My God. I mean, he hated us. His fellow Americans. Clinton? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me bet HW. HW, pardon friggin' people because he was Reagan's vice president and, it, and Bill Barr was his, yeah, that Bill Barr was his uh, uh, attorney general. And convinced him to, to pardon people who were in on the Iran Contra affair. You know, I mean, he said he wouldn't raise taxes, <laughs> and then he did. I mean, he was he worked for the CIA, like he was the CIA director for a period. I mean, it's not that he was he he wasn't that bad compared to some of the other guys like Nixon and Reagan, but he wasn't a good president either. And then Clinton, I mean, Clinton, don't even get me started, man. The guy was, was a disaster. You know, you had, you had the war on drugs continuing. You had the reform of welfare that took millions of people who needed help off of welfare. Don't ask, don't tell. You know, people think about the economy, which is great. But the wealth gap didn't close during that period. Jobs were moving overseas. And, of course, he lied under oath and violated his oath of office and wasn't a very good husband. So, I mean, there's that, right? So he wasn't good. Bush, we know what Bush did, the two wars, Florida in 2000. You're not going to convince me that election wasn't stolen. His his brother was governor, and there's just a whole lot of information out there. I'm not going to get into that. You can go watch documentaries. You can read about it. Pretty clear that he probably stole the election. Fine. It was close enough where you only needed some votes. So it's not like it was a blowout and then went the other way. And so you can blame some of that on Gore not being a great campaign or whatever. Couldn't even win his home state. But you had the two wars, Florida, Florida. The economic crash, Hurricane Katrina, having a shoe thrown at him because he was so awful overseas foreign policy, the oppression of free speech for anyone who disagreed with going to war. I mean, all these different things, you know, Um, not good. Obama, you could say he did some good things and there's some things I like. He, in many ways, I consider him to be better than some of his predecessors um but again the deficit went up he oversaw a period of extreme divisiveness didn't really try to work with republicans as much as he could have was weak in a lot of ways so not only did he work not work with the republicans but when they did things like hold up supreme court nominations he was weak about it just kind of shrugged his shoulders thinking clinton will win that was stupid bombed american citizens because they were terrorists. And again, I understand why we need to be worried about those people, but they're American citizens and you don't have a declaration of war. You can't just bomb people. Um his interventions, some of those weren't great. Libya, the red line thing was not good. He told people if you like your doctor you can keep it and that was a lie. He promised us a public option, that was a lie. I mean, all these different things that that he failed to do. And the thing is, is he's really smart and energetic and young and capable. He's not Bush. He's not Reagan with Alzheimer's. He's not Bill Clinton. He, he was actually a, a pretty moralistically decent man to his family and cared about people. I think that's true. But it makes his failings all the worse. Because if you care that much and you're a good person and then you go and kill innocent people and you make it possible for someone like Trump to get in office because you didn't do enough, yeah, that actually is worse in a lot of ways. And I just think that this 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 much power in the hands of a president is really bad and that's why the separation of powers is so important we haven't had a good president and then they have all these pres- these presidential powers so you're dealing with a president a series of presidents who are awful and they have power to make things worse that's horrible and it comes out in all kinds of ways i just listed off a bunch of stuff from obama trump Remember Child's immigration policy? I mean, holy crap. He told us Mexico would pay for the wall, and then that was a lie. And because Congress didn't want to pay him to build the wall, what did he do? He went and stole it from the military. Okay? The people he claims to care about the most. Insert Trump hugging flag emoji here. You know? And he separated kids from their parents at the border. I mean, he sent an American citizen back to Iraq. He later died because he couldn't get diabetes treatment there. He was an American citizen. And all that he had been convicted of was breaking into cars and stealing people's coins because he was homeless. He had never lived in Iraq. He was born in Greece and then his family came to America. But because Greece doesn't have birthright citizenship, it reverted back to Iraq. And he was sent to a country where he didn't speak the language and they didn't have insulin for his diabetes. He was dead within days. It is not good for one man to have that much power. It doesn't matter if sometimes they do things well. Because what Americans are really saying when they're happy about that is they just want to go around the the barriers that were built there in the first place to stop horrible, shitty things like that from happening. The founders knew kings could do things right sometimes. That was never up for debate. But they also knew people with power would often do more things wrong than right. Because power is corrosive. It's a human fundamental law. That's why we find it in religious texts going back thousands of years. Because people, even thousands of years ago, knew it. And it's why hunter-gatherer tribes are egalitarian. You cannot have one person in a group of 150 people running the show, getting all the glory. You need to have some form of egalitarianism. It doesn't mean you don't recognize everyone's unique traits and their contributions. But you do not give one person that much power. And, you know, this is true of every administration. Obama bombed an American citizen, a 16-year-old kid. He killed a child. Yeah, he wasn't controlling the drone, but it was his order. And one of his officials then responded with, the kid should have had better parents. And then guess what? Trump went and killed that kid's 8-year-old sister. Are you starting to see a pattern? I really hope so i really hope people listen to this and they go oh maybe i was wrong about obama i was certainly right about trump he sucks because he did but maybe i was wrong about obama and maybe i'm wrong about biden a little bit too because i when i voted for biden i didn't vote for biden because i thought he was the best choice i didn't think trump was either but I voted for Biden because I felt like it was us voting for ourselves, saying that the American people want someone in office who isn't going to say I alone can fix it. We fix it as a nation. That's what we've always done. And Biden's starting to not think that way because of the power of the office. And the Democrats are acting that way. Can't pass a $15 minimum wage. Sorry. What do you think we voted for you for? So when I see people endlessly defending Biden, like he's a saint, it infuriates me. There's a lot I like about him. There's a lot I don't. But I didn't vote for him because I'm part of a team. I voted for him because I want us to be free. And I thought he was the better choice to ensure our freedoms. And if he doesn't do that, I'm going to say it. And I'm incredibly pissed off at my side for not being able to say that. They just kind of shrug and say, well, we just disagree. No, sometimes he really is doing a bad job. He promised a $15 minimum wage. He promised to deal with student loan debt. And he's not. Where's the voting rights bill? And you guys are saying, oh, well, why don't you blame the Republicans? I can blame everyone. I'm certainly going to hold the side who promised me things more responsible. I know what the Republicans are like. I know what they're up to. That's not a surprise. I'm tired of blaming them. I blame them for everything, especially over the last five years. That doesn't excuse Biden's failings. And some of you need to do the work, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah, I said it. You need to do the work. And go and actually follow politics on a daily basis and not just the good. And stop pulling all your all your your news cycle stuff from CNN and the New York Times and Business Insider and NPR. Go listen to people who are independent, controversial, heterodox thinkers. Because they're the ones reading every article, even the negative ones. And they're the ones that are actually fact-checking stuff and proving that this stuff... Spans across multiple administrations. It's a problem with the system. Immigration is supposed to be the purview of Congress, not the executive. Going to war is supposed to be the purview of Congress, not the executive. And we are acting like all this stuff we do is okay. DACA was a good idea, but it should have passed through Congress. Because look what happened. Trump undid it. And Biden reinstated it. And we're just going to go back and forth. And immigration is never going to be reformed. And we're still having problems at the border. And Kamala Harris, you know, good luck if she's the nominee in 24. Trump will wipe the floor with her. I haven't, we've been to the border. Well, you haven't personally been to the border. Well, I haven't been to Europe. So you lied? You lied on live TV? And then laughed about it and said, I don't get the point of your question? person is not a serious person she's an idiot you can be really smart and be an idiot just so people understand and every and the democrats love kamala harris kamala harris excuse me i don't want to mispronounce her name i mean that and there are things i like about her a couple of things i like about her but overall if you ask me she's horrible she's a terrible politician Say what you want about Lincoln, but he told the truth. He knew that the war was going to be bloody. He knew he might have to violate some civil liberties to keep the country together. To ensure the freedom of millions of enslaved African American citizens, he was willing to violate habeas corpus because of the larger goal. And he said that. He wasn't afraid to say that. Just be honest, at least. Just be honest, at the very least. Just say, we don't know what to do about the border. No one has figured it out in 50 years. We really wish Congress would pass a bill. We don't know what to do. We're trying to figure it out. I'm sorry. At least say that. But they don't. They never say that. Biden had a tweet the other day. He was like, our policies, our policies are working class policies. Give me a break. Just say you can't pass the $15 minimum wage and you're not going to address student loan debt at all. Just say I was wrong about the working class stuff. It's actually harder than I thought. Or I didn't actually intend to really address it. I really was focused on getting Trump out of office because he was so awful. Fine. But don't, don't do this thing where you think we're idiots. Don't do that. YouTube is real. It exists. We can go and poll the records now. This isn't like before where you could say whatever and then there wasn't a video camera on you and nobody was quite sure how to fact check you. We're a long way from those days. Everyone is getting educated now. Millennials and Gen Z are going to be the most educated people in human history, whether the... Whether they're smart, whether they're critical thinkers, whether we're successful in life, all of that is up for grabs. But we're certainly going to be able to tell when someone's lying to us. And we have the tapes. We can go back and check. So stop it with this bullshit. The Democrats, like, I'm not voting for Biden in 24. I've already decided because it's so clear that so much of what he said was a lie. You know, the infrastructure bill. You saw it. You had that the um, ExxonMobil or whatever whatever company he represents. The lobby is saying like, oh, yeah, we, we personally got some of this stuff stripped out of the bill. Joe Manchin is in our pocket. All this stuff. And it's like uh, the left is wondering where some of this climate change stuff went. And Biden doesn't say shit about it. Meanwhile, climate change is happening right now. When are we going to address it? When is someone going to finally say, look, we have to deal with this, even if it hurts? Instead, they just like, they, they keep letting people strip stuff out of bills. We need climate change action. We need it. I... I'm sorry that I'm angry today and that this is a depressing podcast, but... You know, I, I consume a lot of news and a lot of information. And I also work in a field where I deal with people's financial problems. So I can see a very wide expanse in front of me in terms of news and what's coming. And I have a degree in history. So I can look back and I can know there were better things in the past. Less people were free in the past, sure. Like back in the 50s. 1860s. I agree with all that. That stuff has improved tremendously. But can you imagine an Eisenhower emerging out of the politicians we have today, or an Abraham Lincoln, or a George Washington? I can't. And that's uh, not good because that's the kind of leader you need to run a free country. And instead, we have these jokes. Jokes, they're jokes. You know, they're just jokes. And again, people will say Obama wasn't a joke. But I just keep going back to the killing of a 16-year-old, saying that was okay, saying he should have had better parents, or the public option. Like, you lied to us. You probably knew it wasn't ever going to pass, and you lied. You know, he thought Clinton was going to win. I know I said this earlier in the podcast, but he was so sure Clinton would beat Trump. He thought Trump was such a joke that he didn't worry about Merrick Garland. And now look what's happening. We have six conservative judges on the court. They literally said the other day in a voting rights decision, as long as the discrimination is equal, it's fine. What? You know, like that's where we're at. Because Obama was too stupid to realize what was coming. He wasn't in touch with the people of the country. He didn't know how we felt. And by the way, the result was that 500,000 Americans died. Because, because Obama didn't take Trump seriously, Trump won. And then Trump failed on covid Clinton, at the very least, would have had infrastructure in place to make sure less people died. COVID is on Obama's hands, too. That's the truth. And yet people still defend him. I'm done defending Obama. He sucked. I liked how he spoke. I liked the... The judges he put on the court that ensured that marriage equality happened there are some things i liked but overall he sucked democrats have to come to terms with that and accept it if we're going to find a better candidate and again the separation of powers it's it's the biggest thing in our government that matters we need to have that separation of powers to have balance and every president over the last 50 years has been 60 years has been doing away with that and it's all led to this moment with trump on january sixth, telling them to fight like hell to overturn a democratically won fair election small d democrat that's what happened like that all of that led to that and all of this presidential action and building up of presidential power led to Trump deciding it didn't matter what happened with COVID, letting 500,000 people die, and then trying to steal an election. So before you go and defend Obama and his executive orders, or Bush and his executive orders, or Clinton, or Bush Sr., or Reagan, or Carter, or Ford, or Nixon, just remember that 60 years of bad presidents led to people not having faith in the system. And led them to choose Trump, who then utilized all the horrible power that those last presidents had built up for horrible things. Horrible things. Trump is on all their hands, too. You know? And all because we've forgotten our first principles. The final one that i i really want to talk about is separation of church and state now we're seeing more and more of this as religion declines in this country um and it's really really disturbing because it's one of those things i worry about deeply so Adrian Vermeule, I'll use him as my sort of guinea pig here, So, or scapegoat, he is a Harvard professor, and he's a Catholic, and he published an article called Beyond Originalism in The Atlantic. And in this, in this piece, he talks about the conservative ideal towards originalism and how it has quote-unquote outlived its utility and become an obstacle to the development of a robust substantively conservative approach to constitutional law and interpretation Um, and he goes on to say that government should be about directing persons associations in society generally toward the common good and in that strong rule strong rule in the interest of attaining the common good, is entirely legitimate. Okay? Now, he, he goes even deeper than that. He says even worse things. Okay? He says that conservatives ought to turn their attention to developing new and more robust alternatives to both originalism and left-liberal constitutionalism. It is now possible to imagine a substantive moral constitutionalism that, although not enslaved to the original meaning of the Constitution, is liberated from the left-liberal's overarching sacramental narrative, the relentless expansion of individualistic autonomy. He's talking about not letting people be free individuals. I mean, the whole article is worth reading. I mean, it just goes on and on like that. Um, He says, "Common good constitutionalism, constitutionalism is not legal positivism, meaning that is not tethered to a particular written instrument of civil law or the will of the legislatures who created them." In other words, he's saying. That the inner logic that the activity of law should follow in order to function well as law is natural morality. Okay, In other words, he's saying that the only valid law is the law that follows common good or natural law. And for those who don't know what that really means, I'm using a lot of kind of, I don't know, big words here, whatever. He, he's, what he's really saying is this. Given that it is legitimate for rulers to pursue the common good, constitutional law should elaborate elaborate subsidiary principles that make such rule efficacious, i.e. possible. Constitutional law must afford broad scope for rulers to promote uh, peace, justice, and abundance. It sounds nice. and He says, today we may add health and safety to that list. And again, all that sounds great. Um, But he goes on to say that what that ultimately means is that authority should be held in trust for and exercised on behalf of the community and the subsidiary groups that make up a community, not for the benefit of individuals taken one by one. And so ultimately what he's arguing for is that government should be able to do what it wants based on on the common good and again this is he's he's what's called a catholic integralist meaning his common good is catholic law he's arguing for theocracy he believes individuals cannot decide for themselves what real freedom for them is and they must be compelled by the government to decide what freedom is So again, not, uh, we don't get the right to choose what we want to do with our bodies. We can't take psychedelics. We can't smoke marijuana. We can't drink alcohol. We can't get an abortion. The government decides what's right. That Big Mac you like, we're getting rid of it because we know it's going to cause you to get fat and you're going to have health problems and we don't want that. It's not in the common good's interest. And that's where all this is heading. Everyone is trending towards, I know what's right. And we're going to do it my way. I have a different view. I actually think most of my opinions are not set in stone. They're very malleable. In my own life, I've seen how often I've been wrong about people. God has shown me amazing things. Things I never would have imagined I would have seen. I have, I'm only 32. I have lived a life already. There's so much packed into that 32 years. And what it's taught me is I shouldn't be certain of anything. If I woke up and I found out we were in the matrix, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, maybe a little, okay. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm actually uncertain that I'm right. And because of that, I'm always willing to entertain the other side of an argument. And to change when the facts change. And it feels like most people are not willing to do that. They just have their beliefs and they're not going to move on them. And because they're not going to move on them and they think they're right and they see everyone else is wrong, all of a sudden they're like, well, I just have to compel them to do what I'm doing. Our country cannot survive this way. It's going to be torn apart. And the thing about America for all of its flaws, as far as superpower goes, it's been the most benevolent of all the superpowers we've had in recent memory. In fact, probably ever, if you think about it. Who are the other ones? Alexander the, Alexander the Great, that empire didn't really last very long. The Romans? Certainly not. They weren't very benevolent. Not after they became an empire. The Mongols? No. The Ottomans? No. The British? No. China? No. No. Soviet Union? No. We make a ton of mistakes. And I don't think we're all benevolent. But we're the most benevolent of every any superpower that's existed so far. And unless we want to go backwards, America needs to continue to exist. And to have power. Now, I don't like how we use that power. But I like that it's there. Because the world has improved tremendously since america emerged as a world power we do a lot to make sure that poverty shrinks you know one of the things biden did right he's distributing 350 million vaccines to the world i believe if i'm not mistaken it's not enough i think someone did the math you need like six billion vaccines or something like that's crazy but the point is is he's trying there right that's the kind of soft power that i like but our country if it collapses the chaos that will ensue around the world from that power vacuum you can't even imagine it it would be like nothing we've ever seen it would probably result in a world war i imagine over who's going to be next so i'm just asking everyone to return to first principles to what is important what guarantees you're free and to me those those that group of that list i just gave you That is freedom to me. The right to vote, to choose your leaders, because we can't trust them. The right to speak freely, because we need to question power always, and to debate, and to shut down bad ideas by debating them. A free press, so they can check power and make sure we know what's going on with our government. The right to defend ourselves so that we can protect ourselves from the state and from people in our own society who would do us harm. Right to equal opportunity so we can all share in the wealth of our nation, if we so choose. Separation of church and state, because as we know, religious leaders are not good at ruling countries we have the spanish spanish inquisition and the european religious wars to back that up to say nothing of all the oppression going on in the middle east those are all important principles separation of powers government divided against itself so that it can't all unite under one branch That's an important one. And the rule of law. So that we can all get a fair shake in court. And so the laws make sense and are fair to us. Those are basic principles. And they're ones I feel like everyone can agree to. So why are we fighting so much? To me, I think it's because People have forgotten that, that what a country is really founded on is first principles and the rest is all just debate and ideas. Sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're going to lose. It doesn't make the other person a bad human being. And I'm really quite tired of seeing people say that as if just because someone disagrees with you, they're evil. Half of you don't even know what the word evil means. You've never really stopped to think about it. And you'll probably say, well, was so-and-so evil? I don't know. They probably believed they were doing the right thing, didn't they? Probably thought they were doing what was in the best interest of their country. The Chinese, what they're doing to Muslims in their country, they believe it's important to do that for unification of China because they believe they're in a power war with America. doesn't make it right, but does it mean the Communist Party is evil? Who the hell knows? But that word gets thrown around all the time now. This person's evil. That person's a demagogue. This person's a bigot. Meanwhile, you guys haven't even stopped to think about what that means and how you would even really prove it because you need to know what's in a person's heart. And just because someone says something doesn't mean it's what's in their heart. We all say things when we're angry or fired up doesn't reveal who we are. So all the fighting has to stop. We're all Americans in this together. We have to figure out how to fix this. Because the people at the top, whether it be politicians, whether it be Jeff Bezos, Big Tech, whoever your enemy is, they're taking from us right now. They're eating us alive. And while we debate who is worse, Biden or Trump, or Obama and Bush, Clinton and Reagan they don't care they're going to win anyway because power always does unless it's controlled so we can keep going this way we can keep having these fights it's really up to you the American people or we can come together as a country and move forward on those principles that I just outlined those first principles they're so basic And they're actually mostly principles that even the founders believed in with all their flaws. So when we talk about what's important in this country, what our culture is, what we're made of, it's that kind of stuff. That's what the founders wanted. So I guess... With that said, kind of done with my rant here. I did want to make a couple of recommendations, uh, like last time. So, one recommendation I have is uh, for everyone to go and watch the movie Black Widow. It comes out this week. I encourage everyone to go have a good time and see it. First Marvel movie in two years. And uh, that's my movie recommendation. My book recommendation uh, for as far as what books I'm reading, uh, I recommend Dominion. Dominion is this amazing book about how Christianity played a role in, in creating the West, how important it is. Not that you have to be a Christian, just that it's created something culturally that is lasting. Um, as far as a podcast goes, Fifth Column. You know, I really encourage people to listen to the fifth column. Um, It's I'm not going to lie. They're libertarians, basically. Um, Well, kind of. And they're going to say a lot of offensive things and they're going to say a lot of things you don't agree with. But they're funny. They're actually really good people. And they care about the American people having their rights. And that's why they say the things that are offensive and why they're being funny and brash so I really encourage people to listen to the podcast. It's um, Again, it's called The Fifth Column. It's incredible, and uh, it's the one I listen to the most. So, and again, Black Widow, See That in Theaters. The book recommendation this week is Dominion. Sorry this podcast was longer, but I felt like this one was coming for a long time, and I really wanted to address these issues. So thanks for listening. Uh, until next time.